0: Hosea chapter 10, we're going to read the first four verses. Verse 1 Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. According to the multitude of the fruit, he hath increased the altars according to the goodness of his land. They have made goodly images. Their heart is divided. Now shall they be found faulty. He shall break down their altars. He shall spoil their images. For now they shall say, We have no king, because we feared not the Lord. What then should a king do to us? They have spoken words, swearing falsely and making a covenant. Thus judgment springeth up as hemlock, in the furrows of the field. Let us just pray again. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your Son. And we thank you for his precious blood. We ask you now for your Spirit to move upon us again. Lord, that you would come and speak to every heart. And Lord, if there be one, The Lord has not yet come to faith in you. Lord Jesus, we pray in your name that you would draw them tonight. May they realize their need of Christ. Lord, would you encourage and bless and strengthen your own people who have come tonight. We thank you for such a number on such a holiday time as this. We thank you, Lord, that this house has become full to your glory. Surely this is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you, Lord, would be glorified and that you would help me, a man of weakness, Lord, of frailty, of abilities, Lord, that you would help me and that you would fill my mouth, Lord, with your word, the things you would have me to say unto this people. And that, O oh God, that you would help us to see the days not only which we live in, Lord, but the very depravity of the hearts of men and women, that are across our nation and in this land. Help us, Lord, to go out of this place, strengthened and built up upon our most holy faith. And, O God, we pray, Lord, that you, Lord, would draw us closer to yourself. And, Lord, should there be one, that you would save them tonight for time and for eternity. We ask it for Jesus' name's sake and for his glory. Amen. The gospel according to the prophet Hosea. You see, Hosea, the very uh, start of this book, we'll not do it tonight because it it wouldn't do it justice not to do a full evening, at least on the beginning of this book. Hosea represents Yahweh, or Jehovah God. He represents the Lord Jesus Christ, in other words. And he's told by the Lord... "'Go marry a woman of whoredoms from the land of whoredom, "'for the land has committed great whoredoms before me,' "'saith the Lord.'" And he's not speaking about the heathen that were round about Israel at this time. The Lord was speaking about the northern kingdom in the house of Israel. There were the ten tribes were living. God says, "'Go to them for their sin against me. "'I see how they've lived, their idols, their idolatry, "'their spiritual adultery.'" He says they've thrown everything out to do with me or some of them at least have a little remembrance, resemblance of me at the most. And so he says, Hosea, marry a woman from them. And so he goes and he marries a woman called Gomer. And this woman, Gomer, she's an harlot. She's a woman of repute. And she represents the northern kingdom of Israel. So Hosea represents the Lord Jesus. And the woman represents Gomer, the the sinner. And so that's the story, the beginning of the the book of Hosea. They have three children. Uh, The first is a son, then a daughter, then another son. And the daughter, the second child, she is called Roruhama. And that means I will not have mercy on her or on them. So through the children, God was preaching the word to the people saying, I will have no more mercy on you for I have sent prophet after prophet with the message to turn on to me or judgment would come and you haven't. So I'll have no more mercy on you. And then the, the second son, the first son, Jezreel, means the phila, the place of blood or judgment to come upon you. The second one is no mercy. That is the daughter. Then the second son or the third child Um, He is called Lo-Ami or Lo-Ami as it would be pronounced. And the Lord says really to the northern kingdom or to the sinners uh, through this other son, he says, you're no longer my people. I want nothing more to do with you. And throughout this, and we maybe look at it a little in a moment, uh, throughout this we have the two kingdoms where Judah in the south continued to worship Yahweh. And he says, see, they're doing right. And of course, they fell wrong and went wrong. And 120 years or so after the deportment of the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom of Judah fell into the same disrepute and ended up going into judgment and captivity. That's the, the theme of this book. And I wouldn't do it justice just to leave it there. But tonight, we want to look at something different. When you read of Ephraim, Uh, through the book of Hosea, that is the northern kingdom. Ephraim was a man. He was a son of Joseph. He received the birthright blessings of of Jacob uh, with his brother Manasseh. And then you have Ephraim. You have also the other name you'll find is Israel, speaking mainly of the northern kingdom, Judah of the southern. So when you read through this, if you were to go home and start tonight and even take a chapter at a time, and every time you read Ephraim, or you read Israel in it, look at our nation, look at our land, and think what is happening here, and you'll see it is a replica of exactly what happened then. Exactly the same. And then there was a promise of a Redeemer. Promise of salvation. Tonight in our reading in Hosea chapter 10, it says, Israel, is an empty vine. Notice four things, if you're taking notes, we'll look at, God willing, tonight. Four expressions of their sin. Four expressions of the heart of man and of woman. And that can be applied to every sinner in Britain and UK or in Northern Ireland tonight, in Ireland. Every sinner. Listen, first of all, in verse 1, we have the selfish heart. The selfish heart. Israel is an empty vine; He bringeth forth fruit. Where? Unto himself. He's living for self. We have the selfish heart. Secondly, we have a divided heart in verse 2. Their heart is divided. Now shall they be found faulty. Because they're not walking completely with God, they have tried other cisterns and found they have broken, that they have dried up and fled in Egypt and Assyria, Syria, come in alignment with them against their enemies. And God said... I am your strength and your God. There is none other and there is none else. And oh, but we had men or women in government, even this very moment in Westminster, and of course, well, it's not running now, but Stormont, that we have the gumption, uh, that we'd have the spirituality to be able to stand for the gospel of Christ and for the word of God and to understand that running to Europe and other countries of the world is not where our strength lies, but lies in Almighty God himself. You can see how it happens here, how it applies to our very nation that we live in. So we have a divided heart, and they're found guilty or faulty. In verse 3, we have a careless heart, a careless heart. For now they shall say, We have no king, because we feared not the Lord. There's their carelessness. They feared not the Lord. There's people all around us, and they do not fear the Lord. And then, fourthly, we have a lying heart. In verse 4. They have spoken words swearing falsely and making a covenant. Here is their lying heart. And on first four we have the sum total of it all. It says Thus judgment springeth up as hemlock in the furrows of the faith. God said, Here's their heart, here's who they are. I'm looking upon this nation. I'm looking upon United Kingdom. I'm looking upon Great Britain and the filthy wickedness. Did you see some of those yahoos that come out to uh, against Trump in London and across parts of... Did you see the state of those people? If that's not Sodom and Gomorrah, if that's not the sin of debauchery, I know not what is. And none want to know Christ, even those who are in a lot of mainline churches now are facilitating meetings for them. We're finding that our nation is going to hell in a handcart while men and women have their head buried in the sand who call themselves the church of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, we've seen that outcome. The world, you see, has fallen down around the house of Israel or Israel here. Their altars will be broken down. Their images are spoiled. Their king is removed. Their king wasn't off the godly line of kings for that was in Jerusalem. But nevertheless, everything that they lent on and everything they trusted in and everything that they hoped for and all of it was like a bucket with holes and it let them down. It failed them at every point and now even their very friends have left you. Do you ever feel like that? That everything's just fallen to bits and even your friends have left you. And there's no one else for you. And everything seems to be going upside down and inside out. Well, I can tell you something, Christian. If you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not onto your own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him, he shall direct thy paths. Do you know what you'll find? No matter who leaves you, the Lord says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Oh, that men and women would hear this, not only in church, but in our government, that Her majesty the queen would even take a stand and come out proclaiming even further the gospel of salvation found in Christ alone. The reformed truth of the reformed faith that she was sworn into on the throne, which was Edward's throne, when she was anointed with oil before God. Oh, that she would come out and say, that Christ is the only, the only, the only Savior, and the only way to the kingdom of God. Amen, brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. Notice this. The judgment springeth up as hemlock in the furrows of the field. Let's come a little closer. That's a national aspect. What about personal aspect? What about your heart? My heart? The hearts of men and women, in Northern Ireland, in Ulster, in Ireland, in UK, all around the world. What about the hearts of men and women? It says, this, thus judgment springeth up as hemlock in the furrows of the field. This is what I had written when this stood out to me after I had read it. The deep rut of the heart, the deep inner recesses of the heart, the furrows which are engraved into the very heart, spirit, mind, desires, the passions, lusts, the thoughts, and the psyche of the sinful, human, carnal, depraved soul of man and woman, which causes him and her to be selfish, divided, careless, and lying before God. When it comes to God, that rut those furrows are ploughed by the devil's oxen into the heart and the soul of mankind will stand as a testimony against him, against her, against them, against you, which cannot be smoothed over nor rubbed out on the day when we stand before God. For the furrow was ploughed deep, and the seed of Satan has been sown in. And man loves to have it sown. Judgment is sprung up like hemlock, he says, in the furrows of the faith. And judgment will spring up from the furrows, like hemlock, from the furrows of the heart. Without Christ, you're without hope. I'll say it again. If you're without Christ, you are without hope. The devil's poison is within every heart of man and woman who knows not Christ, who has not been to Calvary's cross and trusted in what he has accomplished on the tree for them. It is engraved and it cannot be rubbed out. And Engraved deep into the soul of every man and every woman who know not Christ is the poison of the devil himself. And God looks upon Israel and says, Oh, the poison that comes out of the furrows of the field, it stands as a testimony and a witness against you, O Israel. And I can tell you in our nation and in an application of personal application, We can tell you this, that the very sin of man and woman will stand up like poison in the furrows the devil has plowed in the hearts of men and women. Do you think God is going to let Great Britain get away with all that it's allowed? I won't let you know, friends, and I'm not ashamed of this, I'm a patriot. I'm a patriot. I'm a British patriot. I'm an Ulster man. I'm an Ulster patriot. But I can tell you one thing if you turn away from God, and because Britain is turning away from God, and because Ulster is turning away from God, and because while its young or old are turning away from God, God will bring us to boot and judgment will spring up in a hemlock in the furrows of the field. Why do you think the heathen runs our land? It's a judgment from God. We have turned away from him. We have turned away from the only Savior there is. We have cast him out of schools and out of universities and we have brought in all the atheistic uh, ideologies that one could think of. We turn our backs on God and we walk away from him, even to the point like this, that God no longer exists according to our lives. And those who know not Christ walk away from him gleefully and joyfully and their sin blinded by the wiles of the devil. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them who are lost. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, listen, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. I see our nation as it tumbles and crumbles. I see our land as our young people are lost to the things that it, the, the, the media and the things on social media and the things that are polluting and perverting their young minds. They're taking their minds after the things of the world and the devil. And someone like me I'm a backward medieval dinosaur because I preach these things. People say, you're too hard, you're too harsh, or you're, 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 uh, you're away with the furries, Ken. You need to give all this sort of stuff up. We don't preach those things anymore. We preach Christ, friend. We preach the blood. And we preach without Christ, you're lost. This word is forever settled in heaven, unchangeable by man. And even our heavenly Father, the great Almighty God himself, will not and cannot change his own word, for he has spoken it. Here we find the hemlock springing up, and hemlock, as it were, will spring up in the heart where the devil has ground in the furrow into the heart of men and women. The word hemlock, by the way, is the word roshi. It means venom. Listen, the venom. It's a word for poison. It's a word for bitterness. See, the devil sows venom into the heart. The devil sows poison into the soul. And oh, he sows bitterness in. Listen to this. Psalm 69 and verse 21. And it uses the same word roshi. They gave me also gall for my meat. And in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Sound familiar? It sounds familiar because in John chapter 19 and verses 19 and 20, 29 and 30, pardon me, it talks of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And his meat was the, the whippings and the beatings that he'd taken before he even got there. His meat was to do his father's will. But they give him gall it's the same word for hemlock. It means they give me the vinegar of poison. They give me the, the vinegar of bitterness. They give me venom to drink. And they held the sponge to his mouth. I can tell you something, friend. Do you see every ounce that's in the sinner's heart? being furrowed there by the devil of bitterness and venom of sin and poison that will stand and testify against them on the day of judgment, Christ bore it all in his own body. He took it and he carried it away from us in the tree. Yet he refused the Roman sponge. And the only way you can get rid of your venom, your raw, your hemlock is this, by trusting that Christ has taken it from you. And from as far as the east is from the west, so far he hath removed our transgressions from us. And that he's bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we being dead, the sins might be made the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. You know, as you're sitting there, Christian, if you're trusting in the blood of Christ, if you're blood-bought and you're blood-washed, if you're born again of the Spirit... Do you know that you are the righteousness of God? You are this moment in your failure, even the righteousness of God. Why? Because Jesus, the perfect, sinless, spotless, impeccable Son of God, His righteousness clothes the believer. And now before the Father, when He looks at me, In my imperfections even. When he looks at me, he sees not me. When the devil says, look at the hemlock in Ken Davidson's life. Look, he failed. Look at the hemlock, the bitter poison. The venom that's still there. Surely he deserves hell. And the father looks at me through his son and all that he's done. And my belief and trust in him. And the father looks and says, I see no sin. I see none. Because he paid it all. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, on Christ being offered this gall and this bitter vinegar. Listen to what he says. A criminal's draught was offered to our innocent Lord. A bitter portion to our dying master. Sorry entertainment had earth for her king and savior. How often have our sins filled the gall cup? for our Redeemer. How often? He keeps filling our gall cup with our sins to take them. Why? Because the blood of the Lamb, the blood that He shed all that time ago at Calvary's tree still avails for every sinner to come. Still avails. The blood shall never lose its power.
1: There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Yes, bless him. There is power, yes, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. And the blood... Shall never lose its part. Sing it out, no, never. Sing it out, no, never. Jesus' blood avails for thee forever, and shall never lose its part. Oh, praise Him Isn't he worthy. He's worthy of the glory. Better
0: going to move on because that's my introduction. <laughs> Bless the Lord. First of all, the selfish heart. Verse 1: Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself according to the multitude of his fruit. He hath increased the altars according to the goodness of his land. They have made goodly images. Israel is an empty vine, saith the Lord, through the prophet. And in John's Gospel chapter 15, we find the Lord Jesus, the Savior, comes and he says, I am the what? The true vine. Ever wonder why Jesus says these things? Because he's taken it from the scriptures. There was no New Testament at this time. The New Testament was happening. It was developing. It was revealing. He comes and he says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. And he says, if you're in me, you will bring forth fruit, much fruit, and more fruit. We haven't time to read it all. But here Jesus is saying to Israel, one of the signs or symbols of Israel was the vine. And he says, Israel, the vine. He says, I am the true Israelite. I am the true vine. And there's no selfishness in me. You see, he gave himself that you might live. He came from glory and took on the seed of Abraham as a man and he bore our sins on the cross. There's nothing selfish about our Savior. You see, he says, you've got a selfish heart, people, people of Great Britain, people of Ulster. You've got a selfish heart because you want it all for yourself. Now you know what it's like. I think we can all be selfish at times, can't we? We want to feed ourselves and sometimes it's like self-preservation, but we get a selfish heart. Selfish. But but the selfish heart is more that's like nothing else matters. No one else counts. It's all about me, 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 me. And God looked at them and says, but I am married unto you. You see, Gomer, the woman, the harlot, she was gone out and sleeping around. And poor Hosea, he's running after her. He buys her from a slave market. We have been bought from the slave market by the blood of Jesus. And he's going out after her and he's saying, look, I still love you. I still love you. And I still love you. God says, go get her. That's the same as God coming in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he seeks and saves that which was lost. He says, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he sends forth the apostles out to seek and to save that which was lost. What a gospel. He says, I am perfection. I am the true vine, he says. But Israel, you're empty. You know, when God looks at our nation tonight, all He sees is bomb and bluster, boast, and emptiness. Secondly, quickly is the divided heart. The divided heart. In our reading in Hosea 10, it says, "The heart is, their heart is divided; Now shall they be found faulty." They're already guilty. You see, Israel, the northern kingdom, as I said, they were divided between, should we go to the Egyptians for help or, or, or should we go to the Assyrians for help or the, the, the Syrians and the Assyrians were different ones throughout their time. And do you know who they were fighting? First Kings chapter 16 and verse 6 tells us. It's the first mention of the word Jews in the whole Bible. And Israel are fighting the Jews or Judah, their brethren, are divided. For example, this word divided in Joshua 13 and 7 says, Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance when they went over the river Jordan and they started to divide the land according to the tribes. And so we look at the map and we can see all the divisions of where the tribes were in the land. And it's the exact same word God says. Your heart's like that. A bit of land of that tribe and a bit of land that tribe and a bit of land that tribe and another bit of land that tribe as God has apportioned it. And as divided as that is, he says, so your heart is. So your heart is. It might be a little portion and a little bit for me, but he says, so your heart is. And so... God says you're divided in your worship. They worshiped other gods with altars and idols. You no, know, friend, you can't worship at the seat of Satan and worship at the footstool of Christ. You can't do it. You can't worship while ones are praying to saints and Mary. You can't worship the Lord Jesus, while you're praying to the one true living God by the way, the truth, and the life, who is is Christ alone. You have nothing in common. You can't worship with Chrislam, where Islam are crying onto a false Jesus, speaking of, and onto a false moon God. You can't do it! There's one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He alone is God. You can't be divided. You can't be divided. And you can't say you love Christ and love the world. You cannot say you love Christ and love the world at the same time. No man can serve two masters, he says. You cannot love Christ and love something else, someone else. The Reformation, the five solas were proclaimed, showing it's one God, one faith, one Savior. Notice this. Sola Scriptura was by Scripture alone. Sola Fide was by faith alone. Sola Gratia was by grace alone. Solus Christos was through Christ alone. And sole deo gloria was glory to God alone. That's what the reformers stood on. Christ and Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, no matter what happens in Ulster no matter how hard it gets, no matter how dark the world becomes, no matter the pressure they put upon us, we can never, we must never, and as far as I'm concerned, I will never worship at the footstool of an idol God, but rather I will come to the throne of grace, the new way which hath been consecrated for us by the blood of the Lord Jesus, and worship Him alone. Christ alone divided heart we find the hemlock is buried deep you know in Psalm 22 verse 18 Psalm 22 is known as the Psalm of the cross read Psalm 22 think of the cross and you'll see it starting to just jump out at you Psalm 23 of course we know it's a Psalm of the shepherd or the crook and Psalm 24 who is this king of glory the Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. That's the psalm of the crown. 22, 23, 24, the cross, the crook, and the crown. When you read them, read them like that. Listen to what it says in Psalm 22, verse 18. They parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture for my vesture. They took his underwear. Now, you think about this. We like to see the light, you know, the little statues that are, that are up around uh, on, on maybe Catholic churches or wherever they may be on people's walls on paintings and whatever else. And you see the little dainty, little red holler with the little nail legs, and he's so effeminate looking, hanging this poor straggling figure with his little loincloth on. He was naked. He was battered. And he was bruised. He was marred more than any man. parted my garments he says the word parted is the same word he took that bit for you and you can have that bit for you and sure you can take that part of clothing but for the big vesture sure let's cost lots for that because we don't know who to give it to and the same word for they part my garments is the exact same word for divide their heart is divided Christian let's just pause a minute, let's just pause a second, is it in our lives where we say well Lord you have that bit and everybody else has a bit and this place has a bit and that thing has a bit and work has this much of it but Lord you only have this bit but I promise you just to give you this bit and and nobody else will take it from is this what the heart is? We must go on to our next one is a careless heart. Notice what it says in verse 3, Hosea 10 and 3. For now they shall say we have no king because we feared not the Lord. They were careless. You know, there's nothing. The old saying is you don't miss it something until you don't have it. It's not something like until it's gone. Quickly, I, I, I remember a testimony of a, a friend of mine years ago and he was saying that he was separated from his wife when he came to get her and they put him in a in a uh, a cell he was an alcoholic and they put him in a cell uh, in lurgan police station he was a belfast man he was just out of bounds there you know so they stuck him in the cell and there looking up was a broken window way in the corner and they lost everything everything had fallen down around him and he was in the throes of dts he was feeling rotten terrible he had lost his wife and his children, and looking out, he seen the sun—or me—the moon and the stars, and at night he looked out, and something spoke to him and said, if I can make that, could I not fix you? And he started speaking then to the Lord, as it were, without knowing it, and saying, well, if, if you place the sun or the moon and the stars there, surely you can fix my problems. Surely you can help me. Through a little broken window. So early the next morning he's released and he, he goes out to the death sergeant and he says to the death sergeant, he says, can I ask you a question? Do you know Jesus? No, do you know God? He says, do you know God? I No. He goes out into the Lurgan town in the street and he's walking down by the cars are apart and he was going up the cars and rapping their windows probably scaring the life out of people and he's going,
1: do you know God?
0: People were frightened of him. He went down to the train station. He got on a train and he says he was there in the train. He was going up asking people, do you know God? Do you know God? Do you know God? Somebody tell
1: me who he is. I've got to find him.
0: He gets off and he goes to a Christian's house that he knew lived in the Mount Vernon estate in Belfast. And he rapped the door and he wasn't home. He says, oh, God doesn't want me. And he ran over to an old Church of Ireland building just across the road and he jumped over the fence For the gates were locked. And he says there were, there were two big handles and he put his hands on them. He says he tried to turn them, but they were locked and he thought then, he says, God doesn't want me. He fell down on a, a heap. He says, you know, the worst thing is, many a times we say we don't want God. He says, we think, well, we don't want him. Maybe sometimes. He said, but you know what's even worse? See, if you get to the place and you really think and you believe, God doesn't want you. He says, it's frightening. What do you mean he doesn't want me? Can you imagine that? What if God didn't want you? He says, he ran home and the Christian, uh, the, the lady of the, of the house um, had got her husband and he had come round and they brought him it was actually the pastor McConnell on the Whitewell Road the church was up there and he says come into my office and he went down with him and he fell on his knees and he says please help me please tell me do you
1: know God
0: and he said and the pastor looked at him and says yes I know him I know him he said, "The are relief. He says, has he forgotten me? Has he left me? How do I find him? The pastor says, what's his name, son? What's his name? He says, I started crying on the floor like a baby. And I says, he's called Jesus.
1: He says, what is he? He says, he's Lord.
0: He says, now you're finding your way to God. Must be 20, 30 years now. I don't know how long ago it was. You see, some people have a careless heart and tell us too late. Notice what Hosea says in the same chapter, chapter 10 and verse 8. He speaks of a destruction to come. The high places also of end and the sin of Israel shall be destroyed. The thorn and the thistle shall come up up on their altars and they shall say to the mountains, cover us. To the hills, fall on us. I'd rather be hidden by being crushed by the rocks of a mountain than stand before the face of God in my sin with hemlock in the devil's furrow,
1: testifying against me.
0: You know, the Lord Jesus actually uses this scripture. We'll not look at it because time is flown, and we want to just try and finish up with our last point. But he, he does use it in Luke chapter 22 in verse 30, where he warns the Jews then that are, are, are the remnant of Judah who are left in Jerusalem, that this would happen again because of their sin, and he dies and they re- because they reject him. It's in AD 70, Titus, the Roman prince, comes, destroys it. There's a massacre. It was horrific. They say there's a million Jews died. Can you imagine that? A million around the walls are they died in famine because they held him captive for so long. Judgment for turning away Christ. And John mentions it in Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 to 17, when the people cry again because of the glory of Christ. The careless heart is unprepared and the careless heart does not fear the Lord. It's like Esau that gave his his inheritance over for uh, the pottage or the, uh, a bowl of soup or stew, the lentils. My big dog lies in his bed, I've told you this before, but just in case you haven't heard it, he lies in this big soft bed with blankets in the garage and it's all zoned off for him and you get in in the morning and it doesn't matter if the sun's shining or not, he rolls over and goes, oh, don't move me. Alison spoils him and goes in and starts scratching him and all this first thing, and then puts him out, I just wave something at him and go, come on. Sometimes when the snow's even on and he stops at the door and he looks at the snow and he goes, and he looks at me like this. And I go <laughs> And he does this, the next thing he's he's out right into the back. And he's turned away and he's forgotten about his bed. I said to Alison, you know we should have called him, instead of calling him Harley Davidson, we should have called him Esau. For that one little treat, he was willing to give up his bed, comfy and warm, to go out into that snow. Now if it's bad snow, we bring him in again. We don't leave him out there to be a snowball.
1: But he gives that up.
0: For that one little tidbit. Do you know what I see? So many people are willing to give up salvation or to turn it away, to live for the moment, to live for this hour, for this little vapor of time that soon vanishes away. And they're willing to take the world and the things of the world and to live like the world and have the devil... Uh, put his venom in it, his bitterness in it, his hemlock and have furrows in their heart where he scored deep into their soul and that will stand against them and testify in eternity. They're willing to do it for the one little tidbit of the world when all of eternity is in front of them. That's what's happening in our nation. That's what's happened in Israel. God says, that's what you want. You're careless. You did not fear the Lord. Lastly, the lying heart. The lying heart, it says in verse 4, they have spoken words, swearing falsely and making a covenant. Thus judgment springeth up as hemlock and the furrows of the feed. Notice, they have spoken words. Words swearing falsely and making a covenant. In other words, they lied. Made a covenant. The idea is, too, they made a covenant with others. There's nothing as bad. And I know, look, sometimes there's things that happen, we just can't make it. But my pet hate is someone telling me they're going to do something or be somewhere, and they just say, oh, can make it. I hate that. Because I can't trust them then. Because I don't know what's in them. That's the idea that God says. Israel, do you remember when you were in the desert? Israel, do you remember when my glory came down on the mountain and I gave my law? And you
1: said that you would be mine and I would be yours. You made a covenant with me. Do you remember?
0: He says, now you're a whore. You're a harlot. Gomer, the wife of Hosea, shows this. This is the gospel according to Hosea. And her life shows it. Notice, God hates those who make a covenant with him and breaks it. I don't know what it's like to vow a vow the way God sees a vow. But Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 21 says, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and that would be sin in thee. Notice sin in thee. The Lord tells us in Exodus 20, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, in the Ten Commandments, the Ninth Commandment, I shall bear no false witness against thy neighbor, or don't lie. God's looking at Ephraim, or the northern kingdom, He's saying you're doing nothing but lying. Theresa May. treason May. Sir name Treason May. Stop lying. There's a few politicians that go through, but I'm not being political tonight. There's a few in Ulster I could go through as well, so we will not be political tonight. Stop lying, he says. You're lying to the people, and you're lying to me. Now, God, I'm going to vie a vie. If you get me out of this scrape that I'm in, I'm going to be a Christian. Well, you can't do that anyway. You have to have the Spirit call you to Christ. But nevertheless, I'll be a Christian. And then as soon as God comes through for you, you don't come through for God. My child's been sick. And oh, if you just get him or her through this, I'll serve you better. I vow this vow to you, Father. And then suddenly, oh, great. There's a relief. Isn't that great? Let's all go do our own thing. Am I speaking to someone who told the Lord? I vow. why that you would come to him and serve him and follow him and now you've run and left him? This was Israel. And he says, I hate it. How do you know God hates all I so much? Well, let me finish with this. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. You can read it when you go home. Six things doth the Lord hate. Seven is an abomination unto him. You know the difference in hating something and an abomination It makes him ill, sick. It means you make me want to vomit. So now you can go through your abominations in the Bible and that will tell you what God thinks of certain things. I passionately hate it. But God's all love. Well, hey, this is what the Scripture says, not me. Here's the things just jotted down. One is a proud look. I don't need God. I don't need saved. Another time, Jesus. Two, a lying tongue. God's already put it there. Three, hands that shed innocent blood. Do you see some of the little children that have been brutally murdered by pedophiles over the years or desecrated by them and their childhood robbed? Do you see the the men who planted booby trap bombs under cars in the middle of the night and skulked away like the cards that they are. <laughs> My home brothers and sisters, let's think about this. Do you see the ones that lay in wait for men coming home at night from their work? No matter who they are. Shedding innocent blood, God says, I hate that. It's an abomination to me. and yet are eulogized an Ulster. Fourthly, in heart that deviseth worketh imaginations. Fifthly, feet that be swift in running to mischief. Six, a false witness that speaketh lies. Here's twice. And seven, he that soweth discord among the brethren. Here's one just for the church. Do you see someone that sows discord in the church? Do you see someone that sows discord in your ear or maybe you do it and vice versa? God says,
1: I hate that. I hate it, he says.
0: So Ephraim, Israel, the northern kingdom, is called throughout the book of Hosea, a cake not turned. No, that means you're half-baked, he says, to them. That's what it means, you're half-baked. He calls him a silly dove without heart. You don't know what you're doing, where you're going. In other words, you're, you're flitting here and you're flitting there. He calls him a deceitful bow. They're always missing the mark. There's no straightness in them. You know, the scriptures also tell us about the northern kingdom. You know what it tells us about them? It says, woe to the drunkards of Ephraim, to their crown of pride, whose glorious beauty is as a fading flower. Wow. Sounds like Britain, doesn't it? Full of drunkards. A nation of drunkards. He says, woe to you. Your glorious beauty, Britain, great Britain, is as a fading flower. <clears throat> what will make Britain great again? Hmm. Answer simple. This book, Turning to Christ, Preaching the Gospel, Living according to the Word of God. Queen Elizabeth was asked by an Indian prince, What is the secret of England's greatness? Pardon me, Queen Victoria, What is the secret of England's greatness? She lifted up her King James Bible, she hands it. She says, This is the secret of England's greatness. I'll tell you this, and I'm definitely finished. Do you see when they're coronating the queen? They come in with a jewel. Do you know the great big staff with the jewel on the top the big diamond? Do you ever see it in the, in the top? And they come in with her, and as she sits there, they're handing her all of the, 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 royal, the royal gemstones and the jewels and of the crown, of everything they put upon her. And next thing they hand her this. And the, the stone, I think it's called the Stone of Africa, if I remember right. And that one diamond was so big, they had to break it up to make all the other diamonds in it. She so was given it as a gift. But that one diamond is worth 400 million pounds. Just that one diamond, not counting the rest of them, and all the gold, and all the stones. Just that one. And this is what what the Archbishop of Canterbury says, Don't dare help us. (laughs) This is what. He hands her that. And he gives her this, and he starts giving all the speech about it, and she takes it. Millions, hundreds of millions of pounds in one hand. Then he takes it off her, and he hands her the Bible. And he says, This is the greatest thing. The world affords. Not the jewels. Pray for her majesty, the queen, that she will start again to stand up for the gospel of saving faith. Maybe you're not saved. Where do you stand? And where will you be? Will you stand in judgment? This hemlock will be all over you the poison that has been in your life, the furrows that have buried deep and burrowed deep and went right into your soul. How do I get rid of it? You come under the fountain of blood. You come and you proclaim Christ as your Savior, repenting of your sin. And you come and say, His death, His blood is enough for me. You paid my debt in full. May you do so, or you leave this place tonight for the glory of God and for the salvation of your soul. Amen.